I want to begin with a, an illustration. It's uh, from a pastor by the name of Mark Galleon. He wrote a book called Jesus, Mean and Wild. And so let me just give you the illustration. You can listen to it. It says, uh, a group of Laotian refugees had been attending our Sacramento church. I pastored, and they approached me after the service one Sunday, and they asked to become members. Our church had sponsored them, and they had been attending the church only a few months. They had only a rudimentary understanding of the Christian faith, so I suggested that we gather together and begin to study the gospel of Mark together for a few weeks uh, to make sure that they knew what it means to make a commitment to Christ and what its church entailed. They happily agreed. Uh, Despite the Laotians' Christian knowledge, or maybe because of it, the Bible studies were some of the most interesting that I've ever led. After I read the passage in which Jesus calms the storm, I began as usually uh, with a more Uh, I began, as I usually did, with more sophisticated groups. I asked them about the storms in their life. They looked puzzled about me, and there was a a puzzled look among the Loatian people. So I elaborated. We all have storms, problems, worries, troubles in life, crisis. And this story teaches that Jesus can give us peace in the midst of the storms. So what are your storms, I asked. Again, more puzzled silence. Finally, one of the men hesitantly asked, Do you mean that Jesus actually calmed and see in the middle of the storm? I thought they were finding the story to be a little bit incredulous, and I didn't want to get distracted with the problems of miracles. So I replied, yes, but we should not get hung up on the details of the miracle. We should remember that Jesus can calm the storms in your life. Another stretch of awkward silence ensued until another replied, well, if Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, he must be powerful. At this, they all nodded vigorously and chattered excitedly to one another in Lao. Except for me, the room was full of wonder, and I suddenly realized that they grasped the story better than I did. I share this with you because there's no doubt you've heard the text that we're going to to look at this one. There's no doubt you've heard about it. You you read about it in Sunday school. It's about Jesus calming the storm. Some of you maybe even have a picture in in your room, in your house or somewhere, of Jesus in a boat, and he's trying to calm the storm. We heard about it in Sunday school. You've heard sermons preached all over it, and if, if the basic understanding, if the real truth of, of, the, of the story is this, that, that Jesus will be with us in the storms and he will calm the storms of our life, then maybe what we could do is just cut this morning short. Let's just go home and, yeah, that's it, and we'll just be happy and thank you, Jesus, that you're in the storms of life, and, and we'll just go on. But I don't know if that's the ultimate takeaway for this message this morning about Jesus calming the storm. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us in the storm. But I, but I don't think that's the main understanding that disciples will end up getting, if you will, this morning. So what I want to do is I, I want to look at this text from the life of Jesus, the disciples from Mark chapter 4. And I want to just walk through it with you. And then we'll come through the end. We'll make some application to our lives. So Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 35. Let, let me just read the text. Here it says, hear the word of the Lord. That day when evening came... He said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so much so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you are the God who came into this world. 
you left the wonder, the glory, the perfection of heaven to come and to live in this world, to teach in this world, to do so many incredible miracles, and then to go and offer yourself as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for the life of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the closeness that we see and experience in his life, that he with his disciples, that he was with the crowds, that he taught incredibly wonderful truth about who you are and how we can live our lives in an entirely different way, even in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. Father, there is no doubt there are some people in this room that maybe are in the midst of a storm. Not in the midst of the storm. They're getting prepared to go into one, and they don't even know it. So, Father, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would see wonderful things in your law and all of God's people said. So, if you look at the totality of chapter 4, it seems to me chapter 4 is one long day, if you will. Jesus had had a wonderful and beautiful ministry with the people, a fruitful day of ministry, if you will. And once again, in chapter one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, there's so many people that Jesus has to take evasive action, right? All of the people are lined up. They're pushing, they're crowding. And so what he does, he gets in one of the boats that are there, and he goes down to the boats, and he spends all day teaching the people. And now it's getting toward evening. The text says it's getting toward evening, and he has to take some evasive action. He's going to go do something else. Look at verse 35 again, verse 36. It says, that day, extended day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, what we understand is this, after a long day of, of ministry, Jesus is ready to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And notice it was Jesus who suggested this. No doubt, probably from chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go to various villages in Galilee. I need to go all sorts of places in Galilee. And the reason I need to do this is because I need to go and preach about the kingdom of God. So he lands on shore, begins to teach probably all day, all of these parables all day. We don't know if he got out of the boat or not, but he's in this boat and he's teaching. And there seems to be a sense of urgency of Jesus' ministry and his leaving. Notice it says this, he's in the boat just as he was. In other words, it doesn't say that he went to shore and picked up some belongings, or he went to shore and began to, to say goodbye and dismiss all the people. It didn't say that he went to shore and he began to greet the children and bless them. It doesn't say any of that. It just says, listen, I need to go to the other side. And I can see these four fishermen in the boat getting ready to, to hoist the sails and get ready to, 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 to sail across the lake. And before he go anywhere, any further, I, I want to remind us of a principle here, and this is the principle. They had been called to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishermen. And they dropped their nets. They left their vocation, and they went after Jesus, and they began to follow Jesus. In obedience to Jesus, they're doing everything that he said. They're walking in obedience to him. They've not done anything wrong sinfully. They're not disobeying here. In the normal, everyday walk of life, there are no guarantees that you and I will not go through storms. We will go through storms. Some maybe for a day, a week. Some of you may be going through a storm that's lasted over a year. What we need to know and understand is this. We will. So my wife texted me on Wednesday. And she says, Clint, I'm not having a good day. And she said, uh, I'm not having a good day at work. And, uh, and I lost the diamond on my wedding ring. And now, listen, I know how much I paid for that diamond and i was a poor college student i didn't have a lot of money but more about the diamond is, is probably about the cement sentimentality we've been married almost 40 years and she lost something really precious to her in the midst of everyday life she's at work and, and she loses the diamond and, and that's kind of what happens in storms like they come upon they creep upon us in, in a way that's unexpected 
So Jesus is in the boat. They're getting ready to go across. And I can see Peter barking at orders. Hey, pull the sails up. Let's get going. We need to get across the lake. Notice what happens as they travel across the lake. Verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Notice what's happening here. Something bad is going on in the lives of the disciples. Now, most of you are aware of the Sea of Galilee and and what would happen. It's probably a five-mile uh, boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. We know some things about the Sea of Galilee. It's 680, about 700 feet below sea level. And then the mountains surrounding it are about 2,000 feet up. So you have this gap of about 3,000 feet. And some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been to Israel. Some of you know exactly what's going on here. And so what would happen is the wind would come up. Normally the wind would come up at night. It's interesting when you, when you read the text where they go fishing, they go fishing at night. Why do they do that? Well, because at night, they fish all night. At evening time, the, the, the storms come up. So the cold wind would come and it would rush down those ravines, it would rush down the, uh, the mountains, it would create t- like a tunnel effect, and it would hit the warm water of the Sea of Galilee, and these storms would come up. And all of a sudden they would come up and it would be great habit in, in their boat and, and what was going on in them trying to get across the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting is this, in, in Matthew's version of this, this story, it says the storm was so bad, he said it was almost like an earthquake. He used the word seismos. It was literally, to him, it was like the, the water was being shaken and stirred. It was so bad. And these are four fish. They're used to storm. They're used to being on the lines of all this thing. And here we have these four fishermen in the midst of the storm experiencing this bad weather. And I can imagine they're going crazy. They need to come over to the side. They're doing the best they can to get rid of the water. They're bailing it out, getting rid of it doing everything they can to try and get the, the boat moving in the right direction. I can see Peter, maybe the leader, barking out orders, lower the sail, move over here and move to this side of the boat. Come on, we need to get the water out. We're being swamped here. It's getting so bad. I notice her reaction else in the disciples. Verse 38, Jesus is in the stern. He's asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we jam? In the midst of the boat taking on water, Jesus is in the stern of the boat. He's in the back of the boat, and what's he doing sleeping? Now, it, it doesn't say why he was sleeping. Maybe he's had a really long day of ministry. I mean, if you've had a long day of ministry, if you've taught, if you've taught, sometimes you just want a nap. And maybe he's so, so tired that he just needs to lay down and take a nap. Or, or maybe some people, I mean, have you ever known some people that can literally sleep through a storm? You know, I, I've been on a plane before, and all of a sudden the, the plane will start getting turbulence. It'll get really bad and start moving up and down and bouncing around and some really bad turbulence. And I'm grabbing onto the sides and hanging on, and the guy next to me is sleeping. Some people can do that. Maybe that's what's going on here. We, we don't know. Or, or, or maybe, there's something, maybe there's something about Jesus. Isaiah says this, the steadfast of mind, thou wilt keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. God, I, I need to have a steadfast. The steadfast of mind, thou wilt keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Maybe that was a part of life. Maybe that was a part of the, the, the scripture going through his mind. Psalm chapter 4 verse 8 says this. It says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in insanely. Maybe that was a part of what's going on in his heart and mind. I'm going to dwell in safety because ultimately I know that God's in control of every aspect of my life. This boat began to swamp. Disciples couldn't take it any longer. Remember, it's swamp. It means it's, it's coming over the side. In verse 30, it says, Teacher, don't you care that we drowned? Now, what I believe is this. I, I think when he says, when they say, Teacher, don't you care that we drowned? I, I think, I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if the storm had come up, and while the storm was coming up, Jesus went and he began to sleep. Because if, if they had gone out and, and he'd fallen asleep and then this storm, I think he would be asking, they would be asking an entirely different question. They'd be saying, hey, can't you see that we're in the midst of the storm? That's not what they ask. They ask, 
don't you care if we drowned? You see what they're doing? Jesus, there's a hint of anger. There's a sense of despair in their life. They're questioning Jesus. Jesus, don't you care about our lives? Don't you care what's going on? There's this sense of, of, of dismay at Jesus, this sense of indifference. What's going on? We're in the middle of the storm. We're bailing. Don't you care what I'm going through? They seem to be asking. I, I wonder at times when you go back and, and look at the interactions that Jesus had with people and the conversation that he had and the miracles he did and all that, I, I, I wonder if at times he wasn't just baffled, baffled at the person. And this is what I mean. Imagine you're going through a a family member of, of you. Would you show them a difference? Family member or friend? You, you would do anything. If they were to ask you the question, do you even care? You, you would be hurt. You would be shocked. You would be, why would you even be asking that question? You know that I love you. You know that I care about you. You know that I would do anything. And, and here, the disciples, they're, they're asking Jesus, don't you care that we drown? I mean, think about where we're at in the Gospel of Mark and all that Jesus had done so far in the Gospel of Mark in four, in four chapters. He healed a, a demoniac right in the middle of a church service by saying, quiet, be still, come out of him. They're in the city of Capernaum, most likely at Peter's house. And Jesus is doing so many miracles. It says the whole town is gathered around them. They're, they're knocking at the door. They're coming to him. They're saying, Jesus, will you help us? He helped a man with leprosy. He, cast, he, he, he healed a demoniac or a, a, a guy who was paralyzed. He did all of these wonderful miracles. And yet they're asking this question, don't you care about us? Don't you care about what's going on in our life? The very purpose of my coming is the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve in what? To give his life as a ransom for many. The very purpose of Jesus coming to this earth is to offer himself as a bloody sacrifice on the cross, and they're not yet getting it. In the middle of the storm. Let me ask you something. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? I think if we're honest, we all have felt that way. You're in the middle of the phone call. You're in the middle of the storm. You're in the middle of the really, really bad thing that's happened in your life. And you've been going through it for a day, God. And you have sought the Lord. And you begin to ask yourself, Lord, do you really know what's going on? And you come to this conclusion that maybe God doesn't, maybe he's got all these other people, other circumstances to deal with. What was happening with the disciples, the storm had so grabbed a hold of their hearts and their heads that they lost the sight of Jesus and they began to despair. They began to look at the storm as looking something big and powerful. And even though Jesus was right there in the boat, and even though Jesus had done all of these wonderful miracles, they couldn't grasp the fact that he's there and maybe that he could help them and maybe he wanted to help them. In the book of Isaiah, the, the, the nation of Israel is, is being judged by God. He's judging them. And he's doing it for a purpose because they've walked away. But notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is a great chapter about God coming to help his people. Wings of eagles and all that. But notice the conclusion of the people. Isaiah 40 verse 27 says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God? They thought that because they were in the midst of judgment, God had disregarded them. They thought that they were all alone, and God said, no, I will allow you to mount up on wings of eagles. I will come, young men may, may grow weary. I will come, and I will strengthen you. And I don't think we're any different from the nation of Israel. And I don't think that we're any different from where the disciples were at. At times, we feel from the midst of the storm, especially when we've been going through it for a long time. There's no answer to our prayers from the midst of the storm, and we just wonder, God, where are you in the midst of all this? And that was his trouble with the disciples. I wonder where Jesus was at. Look at verse 39. He responds. He got up. 
rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. It, it just, it's just beautiful. He stood up. Why? Because he was sleeping. And with just a few simple words, quiet be still, the whole scene changed. The wind calmed down and the water became perfectly still. This was an incredible miracle. This was an absolutely phenomenally incredible miracle. Notice with the water it said it became complete. I find that interesting. And the reason I find that interesting is because I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, um, my mom and dad would put us in the bathtub. And so we'd get in the bathtub, and we would get in there, and we would get in the bathtub, and we would get in there and slosh, but we'd slide back and forth. Have you ever done that? Anybody? And my mom would come in the bathroom and say, what, what, why is there water all over the floor? And we would go, oh, I don't know. Well, we know exactly why there was water all over the floor. Because when you push yourself back and forth, the water begins to do what? It begins to move back and forth, right? And it goes over the sides. Well, that is a very crude picture of the Sea of Galilee. When the wind comes, what does it do? It rocks the water back and forth so that it begins to oscillate and do all that. So it's one thing for the wind to stop, but notice what the text says. It says it became absolutely, completely calm, if you became complete. Why? Because of who Jesus is. and He was able to come and take, and with a few simple words, he began to say, be still, be calm. And that's exactly what happened. By the power of the word of Jesus, it became completely. And then Jesus turned and he spoke to his disciples in verse 40. And he said these words, why are you so afraid? And do you have, do you still have no faith? Two questions, both reviews, and they both have to one has to do with the one has to do with in the passage their fear they, they become so overwhelmed by the nature of the storm by what they were to what they were going that that fear overwhelmed their faith in who the person the unique person of Jesus was in the midst of the the, the storm what happened with the storm revealed the essence of their faith the essence of their faith is they were looking at the external the faith and all of these things going on as opposed to looking at Jesus who was sitting right beside them in the boat they had lost sight in the midst of the storm of the person and in the power of Jesus. Despite all that they had seen, all that they had heard, they were human beings wrestling with the nature and the character of who Jesus is. And their faith is being strange and they can't see for In the book of Hebrews, it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. They had lost sight of believing in Jesus and who as the Lord of all creation. Despite all those things they had heard about Jesus, they were still learning about the nature, the character, and the power of who Jesus is. And then they respond. And maybe they respond in a different way. Let me just have a little bit of fun here. Notice their reaction. Maybe it's their reaction after the calming of the storm. Peter and, and Andrew are walking around and they're high-fiving each other and they're giving each other a high-five and they're bumping each other's chest. And James and John are, are getting on their cell phones and they're pulling up their Instagram account that we just now have. They're pulling up their Instagram account and they're posting selfies about how Jesus calmed the storm in their life. And if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he'll calm the storms in your life. And they're celebrating and they're jumping up and down and they're having this great celebration because that's what we do when, when the storms are calmed in our life, right? When, when the circumstances change, don't we rejoice? Don't we celebrate? Of course we do. I told you about my wife, Simon Ring. So I went home in the afternoon. I went home. And I said, okay, I, I have no idea where this diamond's at. She lost it at work. Could be in her car. Could be in the I, We have absolutely no idea where this thing is. So I'm just going to walk through, and I'm just going to retrace steps. So I began to walk through the house, retrace her step. Look in the kitchen. Look in the garage. Look in the living room. Look in the bedroom. Walk around the bedroom. Look around the bag. Go into the 
uh, into the uh, uh, bathroom, go in the bathroom, closet, look in there. Last place, all right, I'm just going to pull the door, and we're going to look in the uh, shower, because I know she, she took a shower, so I slide the door open, I look down, I look over there, I'm like, oh, and I said to myself, that would be really cool if that was a diamond. So I shut it, went on the other side, and there was the diamond. And so what do you do? You, I'm happy. I take a picture of it. I send it to my wife. We're happy. Everyone's rejoicing. Isn't that what happens when, you're, when the storm is done and everything is good? But that's not, what they, that's not the conclusion of the disciples to this incredibly powerful miracle. Notice what it says in verse 4. And I think this is the crux of what Jesus is trying to teach them and model for them. Look at verse 20, 41. It says this. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Listen, I want to draw your attention to the magnitude of this story. In verse 37, it says the storm was this. It was a furious squall. In other words, it was the word is used, it's a mega squall. It's a mega, mega storm is what it is. In verse 39, it says the wind died down and it was completely calm. It means this, it was mega calm. Mega storm, mega calm. And notice again in verse 41, it says, they were terrified. In other words, they were mega, mega terrified. The text means is they feared a great fear. What? At the calming? Because what happened is this. They were confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, and they were absolutely in awe. It's not the same word in verse 40. Terrified is and, and uh, afraid. They're not the same word. They were afraid in verse 40. They're terrified in verse 41. Terrified in verse 41 means this. There was a sense of awe, of marvel, that they had just seen the might and the power and the glory of who Jesus is. And it struck them, this sense of being in the presence of someone wonderful, someone mighty and someone powerful. You see the difference? See, see, I wonder if times if we lose sight and the power and the majestic beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and, and we lessen him and we make him something less than he, that he's the Lord of creation. Go back and look so far in the Gospel of Mark at how many times Jesus simply speaks and things happen. By the way, didn't Jesus say in verse 35, let's go to the other side? He didn't say, let's go halfway. He said, no, we're going to go to the other side. Go back and read in, in, in Mark chapter 4 of, of the wonderful words of Jesus and how we are to be people who listen to the, to the wonderful, unique person of Jesus. And so they're confronted with this idea, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And I think sometimes we lose sight of who Jesus is. in the For those of us that have ears to hear, parable of the sower, parables of the kingdom, we see the reality, unique person of Jesus, and that should train the way that we look at the way that we look at our life, the way that we... So what are three lessons? I want to pull three lessons that I can take away from this. There's probably more, but I want to pull three. You know, people talk about Jesus. Well, he was just a good teacher. Oh, he's a prophet. He was a very, very wise man. I don't think that you can look at this illustration, that you can look at this story and come away with the eye that Jesus was simply a great teacher, that he was a great man, that he was a wise man. He was a prophet. I think you have to come away with this story and going, Wow. This guy speaks and stuff happens. Wind stops and waves are calm. What does this tell me about Jesus? Three things. Number one is this. Jesus is Lord. I believe what Mark is beginning to communicate is that Lord right up there on that, on that, on that uh, banner. We started out listening to Jesus. 
or looking at the life of Jesus. We started listening in chapter 4 to his words, and now what we're going to do in, in this, uh, this chapter, in a chapter 5, we are going to see Jesus is the Lord of life. Let me ask, is he the Lord of your life? Are you putting your consistent faith and trust in Jesus for who he is? See, I believe what we're seeing here is an incredibly different picture of the nature Jesus is God, and he does the very thing. He's the God who, who comes to live with us and to live inside of us. Notice, in, in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, the stilling of water is something only God could do. Psalm 89, verse 8 says this, O Lord, God Almighty, notice the question, who is like you? What were the disciples asking? Who is this? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, what happens? You still them. What does Jesus do? Quiet. Be still. And you can go water skiing on it. Look this guy that's in the boat with him. They're seeing a, a beautiful picture of Jesus in his life. L let me just read Psalm 107. And I want you to notice some parallels. So let, let me just read this to you. Notice the parallels. Others went out to sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and it got into their desired haven. In our past, Jesus is doing a miracle that only... And, and maybe to this, this little church or, or however this is being communicated. I imagine a little church, maybe it's in Rome and somewhere, and, and they're hearing these words, they're hearing this story. Remember, they don't, they don't have a written word. They're, they're hearing this, and they're hearing Jesus calling this storm, and it's giving them hope in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the challenges of their life, in the midst of all of that. They're getting a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus is Lord. By the way, in the book of Philippians, it talks about one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. One day, every one of us will confess. I believe this text teaches about Jesus being the Lord of life. Second thing is this. Jesus does care. Of course he cares. He's right in the middle of the boat with Jesus is always with us. Yes, even in the midst of the storm. One of the guys who was in that boat, Peter, would later write in 1 Peter chapter 5 about the nature and the character of Jesus. It says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast, like they would cast their nets, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. What is the anxiety in your life? What is the fear? What is that stuff? Storm through and cast it on Jesus. Does love you and he does care for you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What can man? What's interesting in the book of Hebrews, that last verse is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 31, and that was given to Joshua. Moses has died. Joshua's getting ready to take over, and he's taking over from Moses. And what God is affirming to Joshua is this I will be with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. When you go into that land, I will be with you. Jesus is reminding us that he will, in the midst of the pain and the suffering, he, Jesus is Lord. Jesus cares for us. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Jesus is growing faith when we go through 
and that challenges. I know sometimes that is really, really hard because the, the, the storms are, are very challenging. They're very different. They're very hard. Some of them are life and death. I get that. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the storms, what God is doing, God is using whatever that is to sharpen our faith. And that's why James could say this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking of anything. Notice what it's doing. It's developing something. The trials and the tribulations and the difficulties and the challenges. So it's developing something. It's producing something in my life. And it's producing something bigger and more powerful as I react and trust Jesus for who he is in the midst of it. So if you're there, let me remind you, Jesus is, and I hope that he's Lord of your life. Jesus absolutely cares about where you find yourself this morning. And Jesus is producing character. Go back and look at Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter All of these things, storm, difficulties in life, God has redeemed in a way that would hopefully bring glory. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, I, I know that there are many people in this room who are in the midst of a storm, or maybe they are coming out of the storm and the circumstances were not as favorable. Lord, there's a shipwreck. There's a house that's demolished. There's, there's, there's other stuff in the midst of it. There's the ramifications of the storm, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that in your grace and in your mercy, because Jesus is Lord and you are the Father of compassion, that you would continue to give them peace, that you would continue to walk through life with them. Father, I ask that you would continue to help us, Lord. I, I would imagine that every person in this room is the midst, in the midst of something. Father, may our faith and our trust be greater than the circumstance that we find ourselves on as we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are ultimately the Lord of life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.